Welcome back. Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for being here on a very busy family day. On Sunday nights, we are going through a journey with John. And in that journey, uh, we are looking together at the life of Christ, and um, we are endeavoring to get John's view of things. Guys, I'll have to have the presenter view if you don't mind. Otherwise, it's going to be a really short sermon, which I'm sure no one will mind. It is easily said among those who know me best that I have a few issues with trust. Don't know why that is. You could probably keep a counselor busy for many sessions. Uh, enduring and drilling down into what part of me, uh, by nature, uh, has a hard time trusting people. It's just something that I've always had. You may find that strange for a person in ministry. Oh, I'll be nice to a lot of people and friendly to many folks. Uh, but trust is something with me that's hard. If I trust you, it says a great deal about you. Uh, Because I've taken the risk. You see, trust with people is tricky. Inevitably, uh, all people being imperfect at some point will fall short. As a father, I'm continually asking my children to trust me. And would it surprise you that my children also have a trouble with trust? And uh, it goes both ways. As they get older, I have to learn to trust them more. And uh, so we often use the illustration of the rope. If you ask Tyler what the rope is, Tyler knows what the rope is. That is uh, uh, not a tool of discipline. Don't judge me so harshly. The rope is simply a metaphor. The rope is a, a metaphor for your freedom. And so... The more responsible you are, the more rope you get. And when you make a bad choice or a poor decision, uh, very simply I'll say, oh, you're going to get less rope, which means you get less freedom. Uh, I'll speak directly to our youth group tonight. Uh, I know that none of you on a Sunday night on Easter surely have ever violated your parents' trust. I know that that's impossible. For you to do, but the other teens, you know, the ones I'm talking about, those teens, they have, haven't they? Maybe they violated the trust of their youth minister. How do you earn that back? How do you grow in trust? Something you have to learn as you grow as an adult, because you'll let people down too. And you'll have to figure out how it is that you learn to earn that trust. Now, it's different with trusting God. Uh, He, of course, understands and knows our hearts. And we're called to trust. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 is a well-known. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will keep your paths straight. See, the problem with trust is, if it's hard for you To give it to other people, my guess is it will be harder for you to trust God. For instance, if you have a hard time trusting those you can see, 
it's going to be hard to put your faith and trust in someone you can't see. When you have a hard time trusting people who are right here and right now, it's going to be harder for you to trust someone who doesn't always act right here and right now. The good news is, it's not just you. It's all of us. We have to grow in that. And that's what our story is about tonight. If you're turning in your Bibles and following along with the phone, iPad, or just a good old-fashioned paper copy of the Bible, you'll want to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we'll be tonight. Any sermon, any published work, any book, any speech, any research paper, anything that's produced usually goes through a process of writing the first draft and then editing, and then writing the second draft and then editing, and as many drafts as you, as you need. Jesus, or, I'm sorry, John in John chapter 21 told us that there were many more miracles done than what he recorded in his book. In John's account, we only receive eight miracles, eight signs that John highlights. Each of those is for a purpose. We, of course, know from the other Gospels that were more miracles and signs done than just those eight. But John here is purposeful and intentional. Our key verse throughout the study of John has been John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and you're holding your finger now in John chapter 4, but John chapter 20 Verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The the original word there for the word believe is uh, an analogous word could be also trust. In other words, it's not just saying, um, I believe that Jesus existed. I I believe these words are factually true. It's more to it than that. It's that that the believing is a trust that leads to an action that changes the life. That's John's purpose here. In writing these things and recording these eight miracles, these signs that Jesus did, he wants us to look and examine what happened, and he's in hopes that the story the account will lead us to believe, not just logically, not just in the head, but also in the heart. Where the head and the heart work together, you see an action. You see a change. Luke records in Acts chapter 2, as Peter is preaching, that the audience to whom he preached in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And so what happened as a result? They said, men and brethren, what shall we What shall we do? That's how you know they were beginning to trust what Peter said. They were beginning to believe what Jesus said because they trusted. All right. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54 is our story tonight. And we finished last week by talking about the faith of the Samaritan woman at the well and how that faith, how that mess of hers led to a message. How that test led to a testimony. How that testimony led to a harvest. Now, this week we're visiting a different group of people. These are not the Samaritans any longer. These are the Galileans. And when Jesus does a miracle for them, the results are a little different. 
starting in verse 43. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee. Now, we remember, of course, that this is where the first miracle takes place, the changing of the water to wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see a miraculous sign and wonder, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was alive. When he inquired as to the time his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus had performed having come from Galilee. It seems at first that the Galileans are seeking Jesus, not for the presence of Jesus like the Samaritans did. They're seeking out Jesus for what he could do for them. And we sort of asked that question last week. How do you seek Jesus? How is your relationship with him? Is it consistently seeking his presence Or is your relationship with Jesus based solely on what he might do for you? That was true back in his time. It's been true, in my opinion, uh, throughout the ages. There are different ways in which people approach Jesus. Our challenge is to be a people who long for the presence of Jesus. The Galileans seem to fall into the first category. What Jesus calls the man to do... And what he calls us to do is to trust him in difficulty. Uh, This was an official in the king's court. He had a position of authority, and he certainly would have understood the ranks of authority. Uh, When you serve in government, certainly when you serve in the military, uh, you understand that there is uh, a certain amount of authority that goes with the position you're in. Regardless of of what you think of that person, when they hold a rank above you, your job is simply to listen and to obey. So when he hears that Jesus is doing these great miracles, and he, he has a son who's very sick, verse 47 says, he went to him and begged him. Um, the language here is uh, dire, pleading, uh, uh, just a, a very serious, adamant uh, quality to this begging. This is not just 
uh, maybe what you read initially off the text, sir, please come heal my son. No, this was uh, this was something deeper. And um, if you parent or grandparent, if you've ever had a child who's seriously ill, uh, you understand that immediately the mindset and the heart of this father. The situation is dire. And uh, if you understand the immediate the the emergency. The, the pain, the panic in which this man approaches Jesus, uh, as you look into the text, your heart goes out to him. You understand what it is, uh, the fear and the pain he must feel. I, I want to stop here and just help us think that everyone that you know is going through some kind of battle. And, and I believe with all my heart that the kingdom people uh, should be some of the most kindest, understanding, sympathetic, empathetic folks. Because though everyone is going through some sort of battle, very often that battle is well hidden. And the reason it's well hidden is because they don't trust. If, I, if I'm struggling with something, certainly along the spiritual lines, and, 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 and I give that to you, and you dismiss it, or, or, or you just you fail to hear what I'm trying to tell you, A great deal of damage is done in that moment. Certainly it's happened to everyone in here. You have a battle you're going through. You, you try to share that, and it's clear to the person to whom you're tell, telling and sharing does not care. May we as people realize what John said, not in this story, but later, John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said... Um, Probably one of the larger understatements of the Bible. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And one of the most beautiful ways I believe we can reflect Christ and let his light shine through us is to pause, to listen, to look people in the eye, Take that extra time it takes to engage in a discussion with a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, friend at school, and just say, "Wow, I, I'm very sorry for what you're going through." Or maybe if you've been through that, you can say, "Well, that must be tough. I, I've been there." There's a great deal of compassion that can be shown in in that moment. And Jesus wants the man to trust him in difficulty. And I just challenge us as people of God to be people who are reaching out and kind, showing kindness to other people. Let's go, go on with the everyone. I'm sorry, verse 48. He says, unless you people, and this is what the NIV says, some translations say unless you, and there's a bit of confusion about what Jesus is saying, but you people is a better translation because he's speaking to the Galileans. Remember, he's just come out of Samaria. He's had this wonderful experience where 
The woman goes back into town, calls him. They say, sir, stay with us another couple of days. We just want to be in your presence. And so now he comes, and the Galileans are, uh, sir, there's that guy. Remember him? Yeah, he's the one who did. Yes, he changed the water to wine. You were there? I heard about that. And so they, they seek out Jesus just sort of, maybe it's a, a little bit of the dog and pony show. Just want to see what this guy's going to do now. Now, this, this man who comes to him, he has a very sincere need. But Jesus really admonishes them and says, listen, I can do the signs and the miracles and the wonders. No problem with that. But th- there's a deeper purpose to it. If you can't then go from seeing what I do to listening to who I am and to recognizing who I'm calling you to be, you're missing, you're missing the point. The nobleman perseveres and simply says, sir, come before my child dies. And again, I, I think there's much more emotion and uh, pleading here than is conveyed right through the page and right through the text. But he's very sincere in saying, listen, if you don't come, I'm out of answers. You've been there? You get to a point when you're out of answers? It's a a tough spot to be in. It's pretty scary. Still happens a lot today, by the way. For all our advances, for all our wisdom and all our knowledge, and we've come a long ways. 